0: Welcome to How Do You Write. I'm your host, Rachel Herron. On this podcast, I talk to authors about how they write, what their process is, and how their lives fit together. I'll keep each episode short so you can get back to writing. Hello, writers. Welcome to episode number 28 of How Do You Write. It's episode 28. That number really means nothing except that it means that I've been doing this for a little while now, and I am starting to feel like i I'm getting the hang of it. Um, podcasting is something that has a steep learning curve, and I am just so happy I've been having so much fun with it. Today's interview is nothing different from that. I absolutely loved speaking with Medu Kuler-Ralph, who is the founder of the International freelancercom and she came onto my radar about a year and a half ago or so when I was trying to find out how to make more money with my writing. I was looking into content marketing, all different kinds of writing and her site is just one of the best out there. I can't recommend it more highly. Uh, we talk about it a lot in the interview, but you should go sign up for the, her newsletter. It's fantastic. And what I really, really value about her is her authenticity and her willingness to really go there to show what she's going through, what she has learned, what's hard, what's great. Um, her voice is so honest and, and I really believe that as human beings, we identify most with people when they are being their true, honest selves with us, uh, because the human nose is strong and it can smell a lie, um, from four rooms away. It's like when the cat misses the box. My metaphor is running away, so I'm going to let it go and bring it back in, tell you a little update about what's going on in my world. I got that Patreon essay out the door. Huzzah! Kicked it right out. I really, I think I mentioned this last week, but I did really struggle with that Patreon essay because I was talking about the cult of creativity, uh, which is a fascinating subject for me, and the essay itself, I can admit, was a little bit meta uh, because... On Patreon, people tip me to talk about creativity. So who am I to talk about the cult of creativity and selling creativity to people who might not feel as creative as they want to be? But I think that I did a good job. It, I The theme was there. Um, I backed it up. It actually turned out to be a funnier essay than I normally write. So that was fun, and I'm getting really good feedback on that. So that feels good to get it out the door. I also got my revisions back from my editor on the second Ballard Brothers book, so I'm about two-thirds of the way, yeah, exactly two-thirds of the way through revising that book. I should kick that out of bed later this week, and as I record, it is the 19th of December, and um, I am going to take a week or a week and a half off, I swear to God. I'm very, 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 very bad at taking time off. You might know that. But um, you might identify with that. Uh, Or you might not. You might be a really good relaxer, and in which case I I legitimately applaud you. Um, I'm constantly trying to learn how to relax a little bit more, a little bit better, a little bit deeper. But um, I am going to go see my in-laws, and I'm just going to bring books. I, I do have a lot of reading to do for a class that I'm teaching uh, next semester. So I need to start doing that reading. But what better excuse is that to go to the snow and lie around and read books? Fantastic. Our fabulous house sitter is coming in to town tomorrow. Um, So we know that the house is well taken care of. Don't get any ideas. Thank you. Um, Other than that, it's uh, been a great week. I can't wait for next year. 2017 can't come soon enough. Um, who knows if it's going to be the garbage fire that 2016 has been. But, you know, we say that terrible, terrible things have happened in 2016, including to some people that are very close to me uh, that they will never recover from. However, um, 2016 also has brought amazing things. it uh, I quit my job in 2016 eight months ago and i'm still here still doing this job i do not work for trader joe's yet i will work for trader joe's if i have to but so far so good so um 2016 is is keen that way and i hope that as you exit this year as we all do um, that you're thinking about what your goals are for next year for your writing one of the most valuable things I did last year with a friend, uh, my friend Adrian, we sat down and we plotted out the year, what I wanted to accomplish, which books I wanted to write and when. Um, and I put it in Trello Trello.com, uh, which is just an app um, for lists and project management. Um, but what I really liked is it's still there and I got to look at it. I don't look at it very often, but I did look at it. And the things that I accomplished in 2016 – were so many. There was, there were just so many things that I'm proud of. Um, I had four books come out in 2016. Good God! One literary, uh, traditional published, two romances traditionally published, and one romance um, that is completely self-published. So that I really hit all the goals. That feels really good. I would like to do the same thing in 2017. I'd like to do more, and I'm going to be using the time over the Christmas break to. Kind of look at those goals and to write them down so i think you should do the same thing goals are good and on that note please enjoy this fantastic interview with the delightful mridu and um i'll see you next year there will not be an episode next week because i'm taking the time off so see you next year all okay enjoy hey writers i've got a couple of slots open for coaching I'm pretty passionate about writing, as you may be able to tell, and I've got a proven track record of helping writers move from people who only dream about writing to people who finish books. Whether you need simple accountability or a partner in your journey to publication, I'd be more than happy to talk to you about your needs. Find out more at rachelheroncom coach. Now enjoy the interview portion. Well, I am just so pleased today to welcome to the show, Mridu Kular-Ralph, and let me give you a little introduction, Mridu, if you don't mind. She is the founder of The International Freelancer, which is how I found you. She has written for The New York Times, Time, CNN, ABC, The Christian Science Monitor, Ms. Mary Claire, and many more in a career spanning over 13 years. Her assignments have required her to trek up and down the tsunami-ravaged coast of India, to live with Tibetan nuns and interview coffin makers in Ghana as well as learn how mobile phones are designed in the US and much much more. Welcome to the show, Radu. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you for having me. Well, I found you you are you are very active and um informative. Your your website about content marketing. And when I was Thank looking you. into doing more content marketing, you were always the first one that came up. And and more than just the content marketing angle, um, your voice just really resonated with me. You've been extremely honest about how you live your life and and emotions and all of that with, with your email newsletter, and I think that that's fantastic. So thank you for that. Thank
1: you. Thank you. It's very nice to hear.
0: <laughs> it's lovely, lovely. So let's jump into how you write, because that's what uh, we talk about here. Um, what is the best time of day for you to write and where do you write?
1: So I write mostly at night um, and I have experimented with this a bit. So when I was single and not married and I had no, uh, I don't, I have a son now, but um, before he appeared, um, I used to work all through the night and then sleep through the day. And so that was because I always wow. found it really, uh, yeah, I found just the evening hours—they um, stretch on, and you, there's no disturbance and there's no noise. And of course, after he was born, um, it became more difficult to do that. And uh, for a while, I started sort of writing during the day, and I actually did notice uh, a huge difference. And and maybe it's just the way certain minds work. And I found that I could be productive, and I could write during the day, and I still do. Um, but my evening, my night hours are still where I can get, you know, in three hours I can get as much work done as i would in six hours in the day so now i try to balance that out so i'll still wake up in the morning and i'll still um you know do the normal day but then i'll have like sort of two or three hours uh i I might have a nap or just have a bit of a rest during the day and so then i can sort of push it to about two at night and so i so i'll do sort of like a morning shift then i have like the um afternoon to myself and you know just family stuff and then i'll do a night shift when nobody's around and My son's in bed, and I can, you know, I have a long stretch of time to do work that way as well. So that way I kind of get to keep the best of both worlds. I've got the daytime for social events and meeting people and still being around for my son. And I get that stretch of night where I can have like maybe three or four hours where I can just really um, pound out the words if I need to. And so I feel more creative at night. It sounds um, like the
0: best of both worlds, but um, when do you sleep? <laughs> you
1: just... Well, yeah, yeah, I, you know, I, I was watching one of your videos actually, where you were talking about sleep and how you like sleep, and I do too. But I actually have found that if I, um, I can kind of binge on sleep sometimes, wow. so I can, you know, I can go like six hours of um, sleep a night or five sometimes, and then I can have three or four days when I just, you know, don't work or just sleep or relax, and so I can kind of make it up that way. But I, I'm not sure that's a that's something that works for everybody, but for me, that seems to work pretty well. Where I can, you know, i I can get excessive with work, and then I can get excessive with sleep, and it just sort of balances out. Do you do better fiction work at night? Is that when those creative juices yeah, are flowing? Definitely, definitely yeah. um, uh, fiction and creative work. But also, I feel just a more productive anyhow in terms of you know if there's something that I'm avoiding email. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh my gosh, I have so much
0: email right now. I'm avoiding. I can't even handle it.
1: (laughs) Yeah. That, you know, if I need to power through something that I've been avoiding for a long time, then that's probably the time when I'll probably be able to handle it best.
0: (laughs) And how do you write? Do you write longhand on the computer? How do you start and go through? So
1: I'm a huge, huge fan of Scrivener and I'm Mm. sure I'm not the first person to say that. I love Scrivener and I've been using it, I think for over 10 years now, probably from around the time that it was created I'm not sure when that was but I've been I was an early adopter and I've um loved it since then I've been using it for not just my fiction and books but also for my journalism so you know because of the way scrivener is structured you can save research to it and you can move around things mm-hmm. and you know drag and drop and that really helps in terms of when you're trying to write a long article for instance for 3 or 4000 words you can keep your research at the same place where um, you know your draft is and so you don't have to keep moving between tabs and windows and that I found especially with journalism because you're doing so much research can be really hard to keep tab of everything and so once I discovered Scrivener I was sold I don't necessarily write in Scrivener though mm. I will organize in Scrivener I use um I think it's called Write Room which is basically just a, a, a very simple app that creates a black screen on your computer mm. and it's distraction free so when you type on it or everything else is gone and you're just you and the black screen. And so it's sort of like a distraction free option. And I'll create my drafts in that and then I'll just copy them to Scrivener where I can sort of move them around. And, and can la- you tell us what that app is called again? It's Write Room? It's, I think it's Write Room. I can okay. check for you very quickly. Um I think there was one called Write Room. The current one I'm using is called Focus Writer. So they're both okay. the same. Um yeah. which is um basically just creates a black screen and I think Write Room might be free or one of them is free and one of them is not but I'm not sure I've had both in the past and I think it's just uh ones on pc ones on mac something like that okay. but so it's right room or Focus writer is is the other one and um yeah I'm a big fan of longhand too I have to say for fiction when I'm struggling um I think it kind of taps the mind in a different way than writing on the computer does so when I'm struggling with a scene I will actually take a pen and paper and go Sit outside on a bench somewhere and just write without thinking. And mm. it ends up being quite helpful, I found. So, but I only do that when I'm struggling because it's slow and it's, um, you know, it's something just, I feel more creative writing with pen and paper, I have to say. But too. it's not something I do too frequently because, um, Non-fiction, I've never done pen and paper, but fiction... There's, there's I no time for that. There's no. <laughs> blog posts on pen... Yeah, Can you not... imagine? Oh, no. dear. <laughs> and how
0: do you refill the creative well for yourself?
1: Um... I've had different ways, um, you know, through the years, uh, reading is obvious, the obvious one, but actually lately what I found is going and sitting by a large body of water. Mm. So I live, um, very close by to a lake and I feel that if I can, no matter how I'm feeling, if I can go sit next to a large body of water, in my case, a lake, it just balances me out. And I feel like that's, um, a secret tip that nobody knows.
0: <laughs> nobody talks about that. But I feel the same way. I live close to the San Francisco Bay. So I'll do the same thing. But, but yeah, but and, and I would say that most people listening probably have some kind of body of water in town.
1: And they also know it. It's actually not. I see everybody knows this, but we just don't um, – I, I never thought about it, to be yeah. honest. Um, yeah, and it's just recently when I've been, you know, I've been walking around it and, and realizing that I feel a lot you know, calmer after I come back. And so I started doing it more, and I just like to sit by the lake and sometimes right by the lake as well. And it's it's actually really nice, and, and I do feel like it sort of um, – yeah, that, that fills my well, refills my well, for, for sure. That's a, that's a wonderful tip, and it's just something I forget to do. I just forget. <laughs> what is I've the... actually said to writers in the past that if you're feeling depressed, go sit by a body of water, and if you're feeling manic, just walk around it as many times as you can until you're ready to drop. I So love it works both ways.
0: <laughs> yeah, we have, a, we have a lake here in Oakland that's 3.4 miles around, so it's a really great place. Just to, It's just the perfect place length, yeah. you know? yeah, Wonderful. And what is the worst advice you've ever been given? R- uh, writing, that is. <laughs> I'm sure there's other advice.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think one of the things that I've been looking into recently is how to market books. And mm-hmm. I think every time that question um, is, uh, every time I've put that question to other writers, I have sometimes received answers to the um, sort of like, well, write another book or um write a good book and to me that that is good advice sure but I think that is sort of like the very base Mm -hmm. zero you have to write a good book and you have to write the next book but that is not how you market a book I mean that's I I feel like that's almost the base even without that there is no going forward Um, but yeah I find that a lot that when um, people writers ask for how to market their book which is which is something that we all need to learn especially now uh, that there is not enough um, good advice on that and and sometimes the advice that I've been given is well just write the next one or and and I am writing the next one, but yes. also I write a good one well I've tried. <laughs> um, you know, I wouldn't be putting it out there if I thought it was bad. But um yeah, I think we need to get a little bit more beyond that. So that
0: is excellent. Um, that is that's that magical thinking that people have and that we all have. I know when I was very, very, very reluctant to market anything, my answer to myself was, Oh, I'll just write the next book and it was easy yes. to say. But in this world of today with all the stuff that's out there you have to market you have you have to there's nobody that gets away with not doing it
1: yeah and also you should write the second one because the more books you have out there you know the more people will find it but if nobody's read the first one then nobody's going to read the second one either the people aren't just going to find out about it you have to tell people about them right and you and the only way to do that is to market effectively yep i
0: could not agree more (laughs) what (laughs) secret writing tip of awesomeness did you discover the hard way
1: um, I think it would be to accept rejection as a or or failure, for that matter, as something that just to make that a normalcy in your life. So, Mm. you know, when we sort of talk about failure and rejection, we sort of almost see it as something that we have to put up with in order to be writers, because that's sort of the negative part of it, Mm -hmm. of being a writer. And that is true. But if you can learn to just make it a part of your everyday, which is what I uh, practice and now teach as well, if you can make that a practice in your everyday, something to look forward to almost then that can take away the negative and help you take more risks. Uh, risks, And as an example, um, so there are, you might have seen this already, there's a lot of challenges going around in the writing community at the moment, which is to maybe aim for 100 rejections a year mm. or... A course I teach to my students is to send 30 pitches um, in a month. So that's my course called 30 Days, 30 Queries, which is to send a pitch every single day for a month. And you will get rejections. But the more you get them, the more you start sort of just seeing them as a, a very normal thing. And the more you're able to do that, first of all, you don't take them, um, you know, you're not so upset by them every time a rejection arrives. Right. But the second thing is that you're actually um pushing yourself to do more it, because you're almost if you're aiming to get a hundred rejections at the end of the year, then you're gonna be submitting far more. you're gonna get more acceptances as a result of that, but also you're gonna feel positive about this very negative thing in our life. I mean, I used to say um the only way to deal with rejection is one cry and two alcohol and I think, <laughs> <laughs> and I think I've changed my tune a little bit on that, which is um you know, get motivated by it. And now, so every time I get a rejection, I will send another thing to that same market and I will send that rejected piece out somewhere pretty much within a 24-hour period. Oh, that's
0: fantastic.
1: Keep the cycle going. And the more you keep that cycle going, the more you're helping yourself get those acceptances as well. And so I learned, um, yeah, the hard way to just, you know, take that as something that is um just a normal part of your day i don't think I was ever phased by rejection, but um it 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 was a negative thing that i've now just converted into sort of a normal thing that happens. And I don't even blink every time I get rejection now because it's almost like, well, now we're building a relationship. Now we're talking.
0: Right, exactly. And that actually leads to my next question, which is how do you deal with the silence? I know that a lot of listeners will be sending out queries to agents or editors. And Mm -hmm. for me, when I was querying agents, the hardest thing for me was to realize that five months later, I I was never going to hear from this person. How do you even if you send the follow up? and, And how do you deal with that personally?
1: I don't mind it now because again, because of the journalism that became, I was sending out, when I first started, I was sending out five pictures a day. And wow. so a lot of that did result in silence or a lot of rejection because now people don't respond that much because we've got email overload. But back yeah. in the day, people responded. And so I'd be getting rejections pretty much all day long. <laughs> um, that was fun. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I was sent a lot. And because of that, I feel like um, the silence, if you've always got things going on in the pipeline, the silence won't bother you as much. If you've only got one thing, then you're constantly on watch. Where is that one thing? Has somebody responded? Has somebody not responded? If you've only got uh, and if you've got like, say, 10, 15 things, then it's not that big a deal because you've got, you know, one thing hasn't been responded to, but there are 14 other things out there. Yeah. Yes. Um, the other thing is to just kind of, you know, just accept it as is, which is that, you know, some people don't respond. You can follow up. I recommend following up two times, maybe not more than that, because then it starts getting maybe to the person you're following up with, maybe a little annoying because they're like, well, you know, I'm not interested. And then they might um,
0: remember you as that person who wouldn't wouldn't stop. <laughs>
1: yeah um i th- I think two is a good number i um but then i do I do recommend following up for sure uh because sometimes emails get lost and people are busy and um as I was saying to somebody the other day, sometimes I look at emails on my phone and I want to respond to them, but then I'll go on the computer and they're read already, so then i forget so and so much. yes following up is a great um way to get assignments from people who are very disorganized and yeah. um yeah. and who is not in this- <laughs> So um yeah, I recommend following up. But other than that, I don't take silences personally. Um they're the same as rejections. I actually prefer rejections to silences. I do too. Yeah. But again, I have that list of like when I was querying agents, I had um list of hundred that I was gonna make my way through. And um so every time I got a rejection I was like, okay, onto the next, onto the next. And and also I had a two week period. If I didn't hear from them, I just counted it as a rejection and nice. then moved on to the next person on the list. And um yeah, I think I was on number fourteen. My, the four, yeah.
0: my agent, whom I love, 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 and I would not be in this business without, was um, number thirty-two for me. Yeah,
1: so. yeah, yeah. And also, I had sort of like I would send ten at a time. So I was doing ten, and then you know, as soon as five had either not responded or had rejections, I would send the next batch of ten and something like that. And I think I was on the sec- third batch when my agent, yeah. Um, yeah, signed me on. Yeah, I would do them in batches of five. Cause that's yeah. all, that's, that's all the rejection that
0: I could handle. But the, <laughs> but the thing I always like to tell people is that, um, don't query your dream agent first because as you're doing all these queries, your query is getting better and better as Madness. you keep getting those rejections and you keep looking at it and polishing and tightening, you know, so.
1: Right. Yeah. See, I went for the straight for day. <laughs> oh, so did I. Yeah. <laughs> so did I.
0: Got immediately rejected by them, but my yeah. agent now is my dream agent. So, um,
1: Ooh. can you give us a quick craft
0: tip of any, uh, any kind?
1: okay um, so the one that I've recently learned and uh, is that I used to when I used to look at books I used to look at them as chapters and you know um, first of all it was like this big huge thing that you have to do so yeah. you break it down into chapters which is normal advice given to everybody and I found that even then it, it did seem like you know you're trying to perfect the chapters as I was writing them and so the thing now I do is I look at it in terms of phases so the hmm. first phase is I'm just outlining a book and the second is I'm just making sure there's a coherent story here. And the third is them just making sure that the scenes are all sort of linked together. So the more you can go through in phases, and I'm, I'm sure for different minds, it works differently. But for me, if I could go in phases, I could focus on one aspect of the book rather than the whole book in one go. So I could have a phase for character characters making sure they're all sort of, you know, doing what they're supposed to and making sure then there's a phase for plot. And that way, you can go through multiple drafts without sort of having a breakdown about how you're on the 20th draft and it's still not done which is happening to me a lot at the moment um I am now about to enter the seventh year of my um never-ending novel so yeah so what, I what phase of- are
0: you in with that novel right now
1: I'm, I think we're on the final revision now. Ooh. So I, I do have an agent and we've worked through it once. And uh, I think she has a level up here and I'm sort of down here. So I'm trying to get there. Um, so it's taking a, a few revisions and um, I think I'm on the last one now. And then then hopefully uh, once we get to the same level, then we'll start the process of selling it. But yeah, she, she loves the novel, but um, we're just working through some of the the kinks
0: that's that, um, that's fantastic advice though separating those rounds into discrete units I do I do that a little bit in revision in terms yeah. of but I, I do it for things that I literally forget to put in books I always forget to put in setting at all there's no setting in any of my books and I and that's one of my pass you know every every scene I make sure that they are actually grounded in space and not just talking heads you know and it does take that pressure <laughs> off
1: yeah yeah I think. Um, when I was doing the first draft, it was all about just putting through, you know, whatever was coming up. And right. I didn't I didn't try to worry about, is this working in terms of story or is this working? I mean, of course, some of that just comes naturally. But I wasn't too worried about how it's all coming together and, you know, like, how they you know some writers talk about green eyes in the first chapter and then blue eyes in the 10th chapter Um, (laughs) I've I've done that (laughs) yeah so so I wasn't worrying about that at that stage because you can't worry about all of it in one go so I kind of now worry in phases oh I love that and
0: I think that's genius though because that is what that's what scares so many writers because a book is so huge and a revision is so huge but if you worry in phases I think I'm going to adopt that
1: yeah. <laughs> it's the only way I can do it. Otherwise it's just too big. And yeah. you're always missing something. Yeah. Yeah. So so now I just go now I'm looking at plot and now I'm looking at character and now I'm looking at um, you know, words, now I'm looking at sentence structure. Yeah. So that sort of thing. Words yeah. are always my last. I make I
0: make it yeah, well, you have very to be. beautiful at the yeah. last. Otherwise if you make yeah. it beautiful early, you're gonna touch that on anyway. It. Yeah, exactly. exactly. It's too much. <laughs> <laughs> on really bad days, if you could not do any kind of writing at all, not content marketing, not fiction, what kind of job would you choose?
1: I don't know because – well, maybe librarian, but um, but I have never um, – wanted to be or been anything but a writer so oh, I wrote my short nice. story when I was six and um had that made into the school play oh, and I was hooked that's fantastic <laughs> so I have never been anything else and oh. I've never you know I, I've been a writer professional writer since I was 19 obviously writing way before that so I've never been anything else, but I think if I had, if I could not write, and if I had to be anything else, it, ha- it would have to be something to do with books. I think librarian yes. or bookstore Accelerate. manager or yes. something, something like that. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love
0: that. If you were starting all over again as a new writer, what advice oh. would you give yourself?
1: I would say consistency in mm. anything that you do, whether you're, um, you know, nonfiction, whether you're a novelist, whether you're a journalist. I think. You, if you can find consistency in whatever it is that you're doing so for instance if you decide that you're you want to be a freelancer and you want to pitch stories just consistently pitch and consistently write and consistently come up with ideas in fact make it daily habits that you do if you're a novelist consistently learn consistently write I mean it's so obvious the the writing part but I think the marketing part is as important as well whatever you choose to do whether that's social media anything that you decide to do that is important for your career do it consistently I see a lot of people saying okay i must do marketing and then they'll do marketing for like maybe a few months even but then they'll drop it because it's not working but the only way it's going to work is if you consistently do it over a period of months and years and this is we're not in an industry that um you do something for a month and it works it just doesn't work like that <laughs> it would be art. so great if it did but it doesn't No, even with self-publishing right like yeah. self-publishing is the fastest option to get a book out there and even with that you have to build a, an audience one mm-hmm. reader at a time and that happens through consistency through showing up and you know if you're going to be blogging blog regularly if you're going to be sending out a newsletter do it regularly so that people can come to rely on you and trust you and then get to know you And also come to depend on you in terms of what you're offering to them. And that's how they become loyal readers and followers and will eventually buy your books or, um, you know, so, so, and if you're doing, um, nonfiction or if you're doing journalism, for instance, it's the same pitch regularly, build those relationships, but consistency is key. And I think, um, a lot of us early on, don't see the results of that consistency i mm-hmm. think people are consistent in the beginning but then they don't see the result of it and therefore give up and all i would say to uh, myself or anybody else who's starting out is to not focus on the result just focus on doing the work consistently at least for you know two, th- two to three years um and and then you sort of hit like that tipping point you know and then it starts taking off um when you don't think it will because you've hit that momentum yeah. and you've got the ball rolling
0: are you familiar with megan o'toole no. She's she's great. She does a great um email newsletter about marketing and things like that and she um recommended something I started doing earlier this year which was keeping just a simple spreadsheet of all counts of followers on all different platforms, you know, Goodreads and Twitter and all the different things. And the, and the nice thing, I wasn't, I wasn't too worried about that anyway, but for yep. people who are starting off, it really can help to know like, oh, it feels like I'm not doing anything, but I have yep, 72 more followers than I did six months ago. And that's 72 more people,
1: yeah. you
0: yeah. know, so I think I find that highly useful.
1: I have a daily habit spreadsheet that I um, use. That. So I have 20 things that I have to do every single day. Well, I have to do meaning that I want to do yeah. every single day. And that's personal as well as professional. But, you know, on it, I've got one act of marketing. Um, yeah. Submit something is one of them. So it doesn't matter whether I'm submitting a pitch or whether I'm submitting an essay. Or Submit something is one of them. I think... Um, Build readership. Some social media is one of them. So, but mm-hmm. there are twenty or twenty-one of these things um, on a on a spreadsheet, and then I sort of, I'm so nerdy. Um, <laughs> I mark it as like green if it's done and um, red if it's not, and so then I can see at a glance mm. first of all which things are being done every day, which are not. Uh, so which things need more focus? But also, it's kind of you know I want all of it to be green. So. Um, so yeah, the nerdy part of me is going well. No, no, no. I the, the nerdy part of me red. right now is grabbing that. I want <laughs> yeah, that. I'm going to start red. doing that. I need to turn it green. So, yeah. <laughs> have you ever had a fully green page? I have not. I wouldn't um, either. <laughs> not, you, I, I think, I think you, can, you know it's difficult, but yeah. but it, it's you know it's um, the idea is to aim to do those 20 things every single day, and then, and I understand that that's not going to happen, but it's a challenge. Um, I think of those 20, I've I've got to 18. Oh, uh, I've never great. actually done all 20 in one go I have seven
0: uh, on my list today and I'm not sure I'm going to get through
1: six so <laughs> yeah but I don't consider these to-do list items I consider these just sort of daily habits um you know like exercise yeah. or you know just that sort of stuff um but yeah it can keep you on track and sort of motivated if you're that kind of person I love that and- yeah, I'm so. a bullet
0: journal kind of person, so I'm, I think I'll probably uh, implement yeah. some of that. What would you yeah. like to plug right now? What would you like to tell us about your website or a course? Or
1: well, the website uh, is the International Freelancer, and uh, you know everything goes up on there. And mm-hmm. uh, the blog has been quiet for a long time now, but it's going to start up again in 2017. Mm-hmm. And we're going to do a really cool giveaway in at the beginning of 2017. So oh, I'm going to be, I'm going to be giving away. 50 or 60 e-courses so fantastic um yeah go subscribe and um yeah hit the subscribe button so get on the newsletter and listeners the newsletter
0: is really really worth subscribing to absolutely worth subscribing to
1: Thank you. Um, Yeah, we've got loads of cool free resources on the international freelancer for um, freelance journalists, international freelance journalists. So that could mean, you know, um, you could be in the U.S. writing for the U.S. market, but just be globally minded. Or you could be somebody in the U.S. wanting to work globally in terms of, you know, take advantage of um, European markets and Asian markets. Or you could be somebody in Asia or Africa. I started my career in India and there were no resources for people like me. And mm. so national freelancer I just wanted it to be a global community where it didn't matter where you were from you could you know if you wanted to make a living as a writer then these were the resources for you and it did not matter which country you were from or which country you were writing for so I'm I was Indian I live in England and I write for the American market so truly international (laughs) (laughs) truly international um so yeah the international freelancer lots of resources and we're now sort of starting to talk now that i've gotten into books a bit more i'm starting to talk about books a bit more as well um i always kind of base everything on my experience so i don't teach anything that i don't personally know um and so now um i've gotten into fiction but i have self-published nonfiction as well so now we're talking books as well and um yeah just go on to the international freelancer and um, lots of stuff there for you
0: thank you so much mudu this was just fantastically inspiring and Thank you so I much, love Rachel. knowing that you've been doing this since you're 19. I think
1: yeah. you might
0: actually be the person who started the youngest and, and actually, you know, made her way. We, I started at, you know, 19 also and, and got four pages in and then stopped for many years.
1: Well, I started <laughs> blogging. I think I'm the millennial generation, right? So I started yeah. I started blogging before I actually Started. So at nineteen, I had a blog, and this was way before WordPress. So I, oh, I was doing pre-WordPress, pre-Blogger actually. Wow. Um, so we didn't call it blogging then; we just called it updating our website. And we did like hand-coded HTML websites. And so I was doing that at the time. And then as it grew, my career grew, and I was—I think I got a lot of attention in the beginning because I was young female in India writing for the international audience, or aspiring to at the time. Mm-hmm. And I was, like now, just sharing honestly everything that was going on and, you know, um, sharing stories of the good and the bad and the ugly and the sobbing and everything.
0: (laughs) Well, your authenticity Um, is what makes you so approachable, too. And and so you really do inspire a lot of trust in your readers. So thank thank you for that.
1: Thank you. Of course. (laughs) Well,
0: happy writing to you. Thank you so much for being (laughs) on the show. It's just been a delight. It's been lovely.
1: Thank you so much.